0: win stacks of cash by entering the 150k crack the code giveaway From the sports desk of the Ames Tribune, Ames, Iowa, the home of the Cyclones. This is the Cyclone Slant with sports editor Travis Hines. Now, the Cyclone Slant.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Slant podcast brought to you by Ames Ford Lincoln. I am Ames Tribune sports editor Travis Hines, joined by Dylan Muntz, staff writer, Iowa State beat writer and... Just all around great guy. Dylan, how's your summer going?
2: A little bit better now that I got that kind of uh, response from you, so doing well. It's, it's the be... one
1: nice thing I'll say about you for like the next six weeks. Absolutely.
2: So. It's, it's, I haven't seen you for a while, so yeah. it's good to kind of catch up and throw out some compliments here and there.
1: So we're approaching the end of June, but all of a sudden you can see football quickly approaching with media day now, what, like five weeks off? Yeah. And a flurry of commitments – uh, for the Cyclones and Matt Campbell here in the last week, that's where we'll start. Even though you know you're look, you're peering well into the future beyond that uh, August first media day, beyond the 2019 season. But Dylan, let us know all about Iowa State's like bajillion commits that they've gotten in the last week to 10 days?
2: Yeah, you kind of could see these coming a little bit just, just because of the timing of the recruiting calendar. They're just getting into a dead period now, so some coaches will actually take off and, and take a little few days before they come back and get ready for – really preparations for the season, but, uh, uh, some, some not unexpected commitments. Um, they hosted a b- bunch of official visitors this past weekend. So some guys uh, that they'd been in on for a while, um, finally pulled the trigger and committing some guys that had just kind of heated up recently with their, com- their recruitments um, committed. I'll will start with kind of maybe the more high profile one in Hunter Deckers. Uh, he's a 2020 quarterback out of West Sioux, which is in Hawarden, Iowa. I think I'm saying that right. Oh, You're um, the Iowa so way, way out we- It's out west. I'm Eastern Iowa people. I can kind of um, keep tabs on that, but Western Iowa is a little bit more unfamiliar. But um, he was a kid that they had just gotten in on, or they had recruited him, but really it did kind of ramped up uh, at the beginning of June. He had come in for a camp. Uh, got an offer there, and the evaluation had kind of really spiked at that point, and he'd been in on um, Indiana visits, Purdue visits. Uh, and Iowa State really was able to kind of seal the deal um, with him there. And it's kind of an interesting uh, get because they already have a quarterback in the 2020 class with Aiden Bauman um, out of Buffalo, Minnesota. So uh, it just kind of, I think, reinforces the depth of that position. I don't think you can really ever have too many guys. You see um, defections all the time, transfers, guys get hurt. Some guys don't pan out. It just for, for whatever reason. Uh, you're always kind of looking forward to bringing quarterbacks in, and, he, and some guys high, switch positions. Like yep. in
1: high school football, you've got your most talented guy at quarterback, so if you know he can play football. You bring him in and figure it out uh, in some instances, right?
2: Uh, absolutely. And he's a guy. I'm not saying Deckers will switch positions, but he's a guy that at sure. least differentiates himself from Bowman. Uh, Bowman's a little bit taller. Um, a little bit more of a pocket guy even though I think he can get out and run a little bit but Deckers, um, I've talked to a few, a few different people and they compare him to Joel Lanning a little bit just because of his physicality and his size um, but he's in a nice high school offense that throws the ball a ton so um, he, he had some interesting dynamics to it but um, he, he was the one that kind of kicked off the, the weekend with his commitment on Sunday after an unofficial visit last weekend Who
1: I guess which of these do you feel like are going to be the most impactful in the short term, because we don't know how any of these guys are going to turn out. But what's what's the short-term impact of this this group?
2: Yeah, out of the guys that have just committed in the last couple of days, I think it'll be Xavier Hutchinson. Uh, he's a Juco wide receiver out of Blinn. Um, he, he's a guy that I think um, Iowa State's been – been pretty high on and values pretty heavily um he's originally from jacksonville florida uh, played at Blinn, and he'll have three years to play too i believe so he'll come in with some experience and be able to kind of inject um some speed and some some pass catching ability into the offense because that's a position too where you've seen a lot of turnover just with guys leaving guys transferring um so that uh, again that's another position where i don't think you can have too much depth you got to get guys in the program and try them out
1: In terms of recruiting, are we just seeing a continuation of what Campbell and his staff have done now? over the last few years, or are we seeing any evolution in either the guys, the location, positions that they're targeting and finding success in?
2: I think because they've been able to win the last couple of years, I think you've seen a little bit more brand recognition. They already kind of know when they go into a home. Guys are a little bit more familiar, Um, especially within that six hour radius that Matt Campbell talks about. The the Midwest has obviously been really important. Um, You've seen kind of more of a presence maybe in Kansas City, Um, St. Louis, they've been down to a little bit. They've been up in Minnesota a ton. Um, I think they have three, maybe four guys now out of that state in the 2020 class. So I think that's probably the biggest thing, and not necessarily as much an evolution in the type of kids they're recruiting, but just more in um, you know, s- somewhat maybe the types of homes they're able to go into and not have to start from scratch. There's already a little bit more of a base possibly.
1: Is, is that lead to a, a – is there an upgrade, I guess? Do they start targeting higher stars Air quotes, guys, or do they have their mold of guys that they're going to get and be happy about, and not really, you know, chase guys with maybe a little bit higher, at least, uh, scout pedigree?
2: Because of their um, recruiting style, they'll go and offer guys like that uh, pretty early and try to get in on them and see if the relationships can do the work. But I think they really. More than anything, more than the talent and stuff. I think, um, you know, it's kind of cliche, but they do kind of have to have their mold of guys. You know, you can't probably just pluck any f- five star, four star out of Florida or out of Texas and, and have them assimilate to Ames, Iowa as easily as you could, like a Austin, Texas or Gainesville, Florida. So I think that's probably, you know, kind of the avenue or mold they're somewhat stuck in, but. Um, they've been able to kind of find some of those under the radar guys and even a guy like Aiden Bauman they were able to get in on before other schools could really come in and evaluate and um, they just kind of trust their their own evaluation process.
1: Yeah I mean I think that's I don't even think that's a negative like in any way shape or form I mean I think it's obviously some people are born to be star football players but I think maybe more than other sports but football players are built you know really from the ground up I mean you see it you know, in the NFL draft, we've got FCS guys going and you see the two stars, you know, the guys that played eight man football in South Dakota, you know, going on to be 10, 15 year NFL vets to a degree that I don't think you see in other sports. Um, so I don't I think if they get the, the type of person that they want, the type of player that they want and have the system in place, which obviously it looks like they do here in Ames and over in the Bergstrom building. That they can make them into to winning football. I mean, you got to have talented guys, no doubt. And but they're clearly getting those into the into their program and have the system in place to build on that and have success.
2: That's the one thing. It, almost every time I've talked to Matt Campbell, whether it's been in an interview setting or off to the side or whatever, he always talks about the development aspect and how important that is. And um, you you even kind of look at guys from in the state like a Zach Peterson, who was not really recruited that heavily until the very end, right before he signed. Um, And he's a guy that played as a true freshman, especially later on in the year. And he's a guy that can come in and be a really valuable depth piece behind Jaquan Bailey or any Iwasarike. So I think uh, that's really what they're after. They want to get talented guys in the program, sure. But um, if there's steps that that guy needs to take, they want to have the right kind of character guys, guys that can kind of fit and assimilate to the team. And then they can come in and develop and, and kind of work at, at that. I think they're willing to spend the time on guys, whereas maybe other programs wouldn't necessarily, the ones with more pedigree.
1: Anything else we should hit on the, either this recruiting group, recruiting at large, or summer football?
2: I think um, I don't know necessarily if they're recruiting – or the commitment watches over, I think, over the next couple of weeks or so. You could kind of see maybe a few more guys trickle into the 2020 class, but they've already got a good base with 13 guys, and um, that's kind of what's happened the last couple of years. They can get to be a little bit more selective and do the the legwork on the group early on, but um, now they can kind of um, just bring guys in and then kind of get a jump on the 2021 class, which um, is is kind of what held them back early on is they had to do so much legwork to sign the guys that were in the very next class, they couldn't really look ahead, but now they're getting to the point where they can kind of look at future classes. But yeah, I think, um, you know, camp season was valuable for them. And um, you know, like I said before too long, they'll be in preparations for the upcoming season, which is, is um, I know a much weighted event uh, over there for them.
1: Well, we'll pivot to basketball where the NBA had its draft last week in New York. Kalen Horton-Tucker goes 46th overall to the Los Angeles Lakers. Mariel Shayak goes 54th overall to the Philadelphia 76ers. Nick Weiler-Babb, Lindell Wigginton, and Cameron Lard go undrafted, though all three have signed with teams uh, for Summer League. Babb is with the Heat, I believe, Lindell Wigginton with the Raptors, and Cameron Lard with the Orlando Magic. No major shockers, I thought, on on draft night. Obviously, Talon Horton Tucker slid probably 20 to 25 spots to where he was hoping to go when he declared um, after the season. But I think it's not surprising to see a guy like that slide when a lot of it, if not 90% of it, was based on his potential and his youth. Those two things, I think, sound great in the abstract and then we'll still get you drafted very highly in the NBA but upon closer reflection I think potential means you ain't there yet youth means you got a ways to go and so I think upon closer inspection these NBA teams probably saw more issues with Taylor Horton Tucker's game and we're going to need to exert a level of patience that maybe that they weren't willing to do for such a young and I don't even know if I would say unpolished I just think that there's a lot of room for Taylor Horton Tucker to grow his game He's obviously a skilled player uh but just watching him last year there was it was just very obvious to where he could get 75 percent of the way there he would have the move to get to the rim and then miss the layup or he would you know make the right pass on one possession and then pound the ball into the floor 40 times and jack up a step back three on the next um those to me that that's like a you know somebody those are the obvious areas where you can get better but do you want to take the time if you're an nba franchise to guide him along that path that's what makes the lakers pick to me so interesting because their roster is basically empty because they had to unload so many players to get anthony davis they have lebron james on their team Anthony Davis too. You have those two guys on your team. You're going to have immediate high level expectations. And I mean, I'm just guessing no one's told me this directly, but the fact that Taylor Horton Tucker is repped by the same agency that Reps LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I don't think that's a coincidence that that's he the, lands. That's the,
2: that's the point I was going to bring up. It, it does it does work out that way. So the landing spot itself wasn't necessarily surprising.
1: But so you're going to get an 18 year old landing with a franchise now that has huge expectations that might actually need him to play, depending on how their free agent. Uh, situation rolls out. My guess is that they'll round out the roster in a way where Taylor Horton Tucker is not going to be pressed into immediate action. But if he is with that big club, huge expectations, a locker room that's probably going to be difficult to navigate for any player. If you look back at the history of LeBron James, demanding dude, the locker room always has drama. His first stint in Cleveland, his stint in Miami his stint back in Cleveland you know where we saw Kyrie Irving get say I'm getting the hell out of here which maybe now we're learning that might have a lot more to do with Kyrie than we would have guessed at the time and then last year the Lakers debacle which you know I guess take as you want with LeBron hurt so much but then you get to the fact that the Lakers are a wildly dysfunctional franchise right now apparently go read Baxter Holmes's story on ESPN from late May about just the level of dysfunction. You got Magic Johnson just qu- straight up quitting in a press conference without telling his boss in the middle. But it's a wild, wild situation over there. So I don't love it for Talon Horton Tucker, but you know it'll be an opportunity. Obviously, it's one of the uh, trademark highlight first-line franchises in the history of the NBA. The Bus family has owned it now for, what, 40-plus years, going back to Dr. Jerry Buss. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, it'll, it's a really interesting position. You know, no matter where Taylor Horton Tucker landed, he was going to have work to do to, you know, establish his career. I mean, because he'll, presuming he'll sign like a three year deal, deal, which might, you know, depending on, you know, what they get, will have player or coach or not coach, but uh, team options. Like, he'll get into his second contract and still only be 21, 22 years old. So, Long ways to go for that young man's career. I don't think it's a referendum on his decision to go pro early. You know, if he would have come back to college basketball, I think he would have had a chance to be an all-American. I think he would have had a chance to certainly play himself into the first round, if not the lottery. But he also would have had a chance to tear his ACL or blow out his Achilles or have whatever myriad of issues any person or player can have. Um, you know, we saw it with Lindell Wiggins; probably should have gone pro after his freshman year. You don't always improve your draft stock by coming back to college. It's not a linear upward trajectory um, where you're guaranteed to do better. It's just not the way it works. Um, So the worst-case scenario for Taylor Horton Tucker now is he's going to get to play basketball next year. Not bad.
2: Yeah, I can't. I can't fault kids for leaving at all when you're facing those kinds of stakes, and it is it is a gamble. You wrote a really good column too about the risk versus reward, um, and how Mariel Shayak, you know, kind of bet on himself too, and how those guys bet on themselves. But the the jury isn't out necessarily on what what their futures can be because um, they're still so young and it's so early. But um, how do you feel about um, what Mariel Shayak was able to do and and kind of rise to uh, the levels he were to end up? Being an NBA draft pick,
1: yeah, I think like like Steve Prome and like his players at the end of every season, I kind of look back and s- try to pinpoint what I thought I did well covering the team that season, what I didn't do well, and I don't think that I probably gave Mariel Shayak enough credit or highlighted the season that he had enough. Which you know there was a v- multitude of reasons for that given. The other players on the team, the dysfunction that all of a sudden it ran into in February. But that guy had a phenomenal season. He was a great player, a great story. You know, to go from a marginal player at a place like Virginia to leave a place like Virginia where you know you're going to be competing for an ACC championship, you're going to be competing to go to the Final Four. You know, that was the national champion this year, let me remind you. Now, that wouldn't have been a team that Shayak would have been on if. Unless he had somehow redshirted that season at Virginia, but like that's they were they were a number one they were the number one overall seed. In what would have been his senior year, so he did avoid the UMBC disaster. You know, way to go, Mar- Mariel. But yeah, it, that was a remarkably uh, confident thing to do for a young man. And all you hear about from, about him from his coaches, from his teammates, is the work ethic he had not only in that year where he sat out but even this year when he was playing and that he, you know, really took the reins of his career and molded himself into a guy that had a phenomenal all American type senior season and now has a legitimate shot at playing in the NBA and at minimum has a, basically guaranteed opportunity to make serious money playing basketball, um, you know, whether it's in the NBA, whether it's in his uh, native country of Canada or elsewhere overseas, like that guy's going to make a lot of money playing basketball because he's a great defender. And we saw this year he is a more than capable scorer.
2: It, that was the thing that that kind of stood out is when he made that bet on himself he was able to show so many different sides to his game that um it just made him an even more attractive candidate i thought so uh you know props to him because it's, it's a hell of a road to try to take and for him to do it and navigate it successfully it was big time but uh, just your thoughts on the other three guys with Lindell and and Cam and and Nick and maybe their paths
1: yeah like Nick no surprise like i think he'll get he'll have the same opportunity to play his way i don't see him as an nba player but i think if he wants to he can have a long career uh, overseas because of his versatility uh, because of his basketball iq because of his uh, physical skills i think the nba is probably going to be a hurdle too high for him to clear but i've been wrong about that before um cam you know you, that guy knew he was kind of jumping into the abyss by going pro, that he wasn't going to have an immediate opportunity. But to me, like it wouldn't shock me to see him suddenly appear on an NBA roster a la Bryce Dijon Jones from a few years ago. Like I did not think Bryce had – where he was going to be able to go play in the NBA immediately. And he went from undrafted to getting a a draft or to getting a guaranteed contract with the New Orleans Pelicans before he was uh, tragically killed after his rookie season. But it wouldn't shock me to see Cameron Lard pop up on an NBA roster, probably not this year, but in the next couple of years because he is so athletic. Um, I think he's got that opportunity. Obviously he's got to keep his head on straight and keep the off the court stuff uh, all locked down and, You know, pointed in the right direction and still refine some of his games. But uh, the one thing for him that'll be tough is just, you know, not having an outside game. Like you've got to just be able to be a dominant rebounder and defensive force, which can he do that at six foot nine? I don't know. Um, But again, wildly talented dude. Uh, Wigginton to me is the most interesting, you know, like we touched on earlier. Uh, probably should have gone pro he would have probably gotten drafted last year It would have been the second round he comes back saying he wants to be a first round draft pick a lottery pick Um, I don't think even without the injury that would have happened I don't think what we saw when he got back looked a lot like the same Lindell um, a lot with the same flaws in his game that we had saw as a freshman I didn't see a ton of improvement Um, I think the pushback for that would be the injury got made things difficult for him and that there was some improvement in his decision-making, which fine, whatever. Um, But I think once you make up your mind to go, it's really hard to change your mind. And I think Lindell Wigginson had his mind made up last May that this was going to be his last collegiate season. You know, you heard Steve Prohm say it in his exit interviews, how he apologized to Lindell for the way that he managed his, him coming back from his injury and felt that he probably should have just put him right back in the starting lineup. So is there a level of trust that needs to be there if you're Lindell Wigginton that coming back to Iowa State is going to be better for you in the long term? you know if if there's hurt feelings, if there's issues there, I could see why you wouldn't be jumping at the chance. I mean I've the I talked to multiple people um, from both inside and outside Iowa State that I think transferring for him was a way higher uh, prob or the, the, the chances of him transferring after last season were way higher than we would have guessed probably, you know, throughout last spring. Um, I think that he looked at that as being a real option to go to a number of different places before ultimately deciding to go to finish this out and go pro. Um, And I think that just speaks to him having his mind made up and then maybe not feeling great about coming back to Iowa state because of the way last year went out. You know, I'm, I'm tying some loose ends together here. I'm coloring in some, uh, I'm guess, or I'm not guessing so much as I, I'm connecting some dots here that I haven't heard straight from Lindell. So I could be wrong on that, but that's my impression uh, from the people that I've talked to and what I saw last year. Um, you know, we'll see. He's got shoots forty percent, can jump out the gym. Um, I I don't think he's a point guard. I, I don't. I think he struggled to play point guard in college, so I don't know how he's going to do it in the NBA. And if he doesn't do it in the NBA what position do you play and what position do you guard as a six foot two guy with great jumping ability but not great quickness or speed and or a real struggle at times to finish around the rim uh, you know if you're going to be a lockdown three-point shooter like unless he's shooting like 50 percent like you got to play defense it's three and d it's not just three anymore you, know, you don't see a lot of guys necessarily like the steve kerrs like you saw in the, the early 90s where it was you know come off the bench hit a couple threes and get Get back there before the other team figures out that they can just go after you every time down the floor. Um, So we'll see. I I I think it's disappointing because if you're Lindell Wigginton, because there was so much hype and so much expectation, I think with from within his own inner circle, uh, that I just it never seemed to quite click. You know, he was very good freshman year on a bad team, and then right off the bat, his sophomore year gets hurt and is playing in a role. You know, he didn't love and probably never fully embraced for a lot of different reasons and you know got relegated to what was he the third or fourth best player on that team last year yeah I that's mean, that's tough to swallow you know that, that's a very tough shot to your ego that i don't know a lot of you know 19 or 20 year olds you know that could absorb that with a a ton of humility and i'm not even saying that wigginton didn't because by all accounts you know a teammate that a lot of people liked you know that Carried himself well off the court in the classroom, um, but just not a situation you know when your goal is the NBA. That that this season went poorly for him from that regard.
2: I know we have some Twitter questions that are asking about basketball. You don't have any more, Lindell? No, uh, anything else you want to touch on basketball related before we hop into them? Um, I, I think
1: we're good. I think we'll hit them on the questions. So, uh, and it's June, so we probably don't need to go too deep into basketball.
2: But people did miss the basketball talk. I think. Oh,
1: basketball's I? fun to talk about it is um we'll go to twitter questions there's a couple basketball questions in there so if there's anything else we'll hit them there beaches in cream says what are your three bold predictions for football this fall
2: i was kicking around some of these i think number one is that brock is going to start every game at quarterback
1: that is a bold prediction
2: so uh, history says it won't happen but i'm not going to it's hard to imagine. Dylan's
1: referencing the fact that they haven't had somebody since when? Oh, nine? Oh, eight. Oh, eight with Austin, Austin Arnott. Os-
2: Ames native. Ames Austin native, Arnod. little
1: Arnod. cyclone. Austin yeah. Arnott.
2: But uh, no, I think uh, he'll start every game. I think um, I think one of the freshman running backs will be starting by the end of the season. And I think um, Greg Eisworth is going to be a all Big 12 first team guy.
1: There you go. I'm not making any bold predictions. I'm not in football mode till after July 4th. Then, no. then I then I dive all in. Yeah. I've been trying to get into it takes. a little. I've
2: been trying to get into it a little bit. I have been at a couple of the Iowa State camps and it's just got the fever back a little bit. it's, right? it's going
1: to be here before you know. Like yeah. I said, what's today? Yeah. June 20 or yeah, June 25th. So we're like we're 5 weeks away from media day.
2: Yeah. And Big 12 media day is in 3 weeks. So I mean, that's it's, yeah. it's yeah. going to be here. We're on the edge.
1: Marcus Wood says, any thoughts on recruiting? And Fale Dante for the men's basketball team. That's a five-star big man who goes to Sunrise Christian Academy, which you know has produced the likes of Buddy Heald in recent years, uh, that actually is living in Des Moines this summer. His uh, guardian family lives in Des Moines, um, and he's playing in the Cap City League. Um, Iowa State's recruiting him. But I don't know how seriously they are as an option, just because they're going up against the the heaviest of hitters um, in college basketball. Traditionally, no one wins those uh, battles against the likes of Kentucky and Kansas, and you know, go on down the line of the blue bloods. There's also, I guess, talk of him reclassing to 2019, which I think would complicate things for Iowa State. So I think Iowa State's keeping involved and see seeing what happens, you know, and if they get closer to. Uh, you know, the decision date for Dante and they're still involved, then you you go all in. But certainly I don't think this is a situation, you know, where they would consider themselves front runners for Infali Dante. But the kids in your backyard, he's living in Des Moines this summer. Like, yeah, you're, you're going to recruit the the five star six ten six eleven kid that was just an absolute terror on Sunday night in uh, Cap City League playing against, uh, I mean, Cap City League competition. But still, like you could see the physical tools were there.
2: How dare you sully Cap City League competition. I will
1: sully Cap City League, and yet I'll still be there every Sunday night. Ricky Wright says, Is there any worry about regression from Brock Purdy? As an Iowa State fan, returning QBs always seem to fizzle out, and we end up with a new one by the end of the season, which this ties into your bold prediction, but also the the fact of seeing guys have success in year one and then not in year two is rather astounding for Iowa State. You can go like – down the line from Jacob Park to Sam Richardson um, to uh, Rohatch. Who was the guy that Rohatch replaced?
2: It was Sam Sam Richardson. Who did Sam Richardson? Joel, Joel, well, Joel Lanning. It, so but, I mean, Jared Barnett. Jared Steve
1: Barnett was Jared. who I was trying to think yeah. of there. There's yeah. been so many. There's been guys track. that have had you know serious peaks that are followed by Valley. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I would think that Brock Purdy – would look to have a little bit more sustainability than you know the guys we just mentioned
2: the one thing that kind of separates him in my mind is how much run he got last year I mean you think back to the Oklahoma State game in early October he was the guy from there through the end of the season so I think the amount of extended playing time is going to make a difference for him and I'm not probably worried so much about his regression but can he add new things or refine things within his game and that's decision making that's um you know the the whether you run, whether you pass, whether you take it, slide, uh, all, all those sorts of things. So I don't think there there should be much worry in does he lose something in his game, but rather what what can he add, what can he build upon.
1: Our boy Adam Ring says, asks, What sports-related books do you recommend reading this summer? Looking primarily for baseball and football reads. You're a decently... Uh, productive book reader, aren't you, Dylan?
2: I try to be. Got any uh, recommendations I, for our I, guy, Adam? Yeah, I need to get back on it a little bit, but a book I read a while ago that I really liked and is somewhat timely is The Sacred Acre. Uh, it's a biography about Ed Thomas, who, um, as we record this yesterday, is the 10th anniversary of his murder. But it was um, it was a really great read. It kind of went back through his history and and how he was able to build up um, the Appleton Park Parkersburg football program into um, you know a, a power in the state for small classes and how they overcame the tornado and then had to deal with with his death. So um, a, a really great read and, and pretty quick too. I think I read it uh, you know with just in a couple of days. So that's that's my football one.
1: The, this question made me realize that I used to read a lot of baseball books and now I was racking my brain. I don't know if I've read one in 10 years. A baseball know. book. I've read a book in 10 years.
0: <laughs> well,
2: good. Yeah, I don't know the last baseball book I would have even read.
1: Uh, the ones I wrote that I remembered liking from a de- decade plus ago is Summer of 49 by David Halberstam, which is kind of a Yankees-Red Sox uh, book about the summer of 1949. Um, Ball 4 by Jim Booten is a uh, memoir from the the knuckleballer the um, Soul, Soul of Baseball, Joe Poznanski is a good one. And uh, Cobb by Al, something I can't even read my writing. It's a biography of Ty Cobb, who, as everyone now knows, is a just major league a-hole, uh, pretty awful, awful human being. So it's an interesting read.
2: Yeah, it would be good to go. The ahead. other
1: ones I wrote, just like sports-related, Showtime by Jeff Perlman was on the Showtime Lakers. I loved that book. Really, really <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me, really, really good. Uh edu- <coughs> Education of a Coach by David Halberstam is on uh Belichick and his dad. Um, what else do I got here? Season on the Brink, John Feinstein, Jordan Rolls by Sam Smith.
2: I really liked Shoe Dog by um <coughs> Phil Knight too. It was kind I haven't of his, read that one his yet. memoir. So um it's not in the football, baseball realm, obviously, but a good read. I read two surfing
1: books last summer or two summers ago, Barbarian Days. That one was okay. Um, and then uh, Welcome to Paradise, Go to Hell. I really liked that one. That was a good one.
2: See, you're a good reader too.
1: Yeah, I read a lot. I used to chronicle all my readings on my Instagram more so I could remember the books I read because it's like, it's like, what's your favorite movie or what was the last movie? It's like exactly. all, somebody asked you a question. And it's like, well, I just devoted a major amount of my time consuming this media and now i have no recollection of it whatsoever
2: uh, the other books i like are um those guys have all the fun the espn oral history
1: got it haven't read it
2: it's it's daunting because of how big it is but um i think I, that's why i haven't read it yeah i blazed through it pretty well just because of, <coughs> uh, you know just kept pushing pushing along so i i throw that one in there as well
1: i just listened to 1984 audiobook i read that it was good it was yeah. depressing as hell but it was good
2: a lot of relevant themes in it.
1: I mean, if you say so. Um, we'll go now to Tyler Cook. I don't think former Hawkeye Tyler Cook, but Tyler Cook nonetheless. Any rumbling on Rasir Bolton's eligibility waiver? Um, I Not really, other than they maintain their confidence um, and their silence about, A, what the waiver is for, and, B, why they're so confident about it. Uh, believe me, they have been asked by many people, um, And we're not really getting a response, which, you know, fine if it's a personal deal. I understand, but uh, we'll see. You know, you never know with the NCAA. Um, I'm not even sure that the waiver has been submitted yet. I know that, like, once they do, it's a three-week process. Um, As of maybe 10 days ago, I don't even know if it was submitted, but I haven't checked in the last week or so. Uh, But they maintain a lot of confidence, you know, even talking to some of the other players at Cap City League on Sunday night. They all seem to be under the presumption that Rashear Bolton will be eligible and probably starting for Iowa State.
2: Yeah, it changes the complexion of what they can do next year.
1: Which brings us to our next and final question from Tyler Rich. For the 2019-20 men's basketball season, what is the best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, most likely scenario? To me, like the uh, the upcoming season is going to be about who steps up. Is Rasir Bolton going to be an all-Big 12 player? Is Tyrese Halliburton going to be a lottery pick? Is somebody we're not talking about like Prentice Nixon or George Condit going to be you know, two and three levels higher than I think we're expecting them to be? If that's the case, like maybe this is a Sweet 16 team. If it's not the case, I think it's a fringe NCAA tournament team. And if they're worse than I think, then they're an NIT or worse. I think – Best case scenario is Tyrese Halliburton is a lottery pick, which I don't think is that far fetched. I don't think he's going to be a huge scorer, but he could have a you know hugely productive year in every metric other than you know scoring eighteen to twenty points a game. You know if Rasir Bolton is eligible and a 20-point score, that's huge. If Prentice Nixon is a lockdown defender and a 12- to 14-point score who you know suddenly shoots 38% from three, that's huge. Is George Condit the next coming of Dikembe Mutombo as a shot blocker? That would be huge. Can Michael Jacobson be the three-point shooter he was for the first month of the season and not the 18% three-point shooter he was during the Big 12 play and two years in Nebraska? That, that to me is like who gets better and who surprises us as being – not just a little bit better, not incrementally better, but takes a huge jump forward. Is it Terrence Lewis? Is it Zion Griffin? Like to me, that is really what's going to take this Iowa State team to the next level because I think there is a baseline there when you have, you know, guys like Solomon Young, guys like Prentis Nixon, who I think like at minimum is going to be a very serviceable Big Twelve player. Uh, when you've got guys like Michael Jacobson um, and on down the line of the guys that we that we know who they are, um, you know, they have a baseline which to me, even though the roster is turning over. You know by half again just like 2017 I think the baseline the floor is a lot higher in 2019-20 than it was in 1617 and then like what about the freshman does is Caleb Grill who people are saying is like the most athletic player on the team as a freshman does, is he able to play and give minutes Trey Jackson has been phenomenal in cap city um, is he able to be a contributor I heard from one Iowa State Person, we should say that, like, that was he was going to be the surprise. This is, you know, three, four months ago, this person told me this. Like, he was going to be the surprise people, maybe not to the degree like Tyrese Halliburton, but to where, like, that dude was wildly underrated by recruiting services. Like, that there is, uh, I think, high hopes for that young man. So, like, that to me is like, what's going to be the surprise? And I think a lot of the surprises are probably going to be to the upside cuz i don't think that we've you know outrun expectations but again it's june 25th so just give us time <laughs> give give the media and give fans time and all of a sudden we'll be hyping up everybody and uh, maybe you know getting ahead of ourselves
2: it'll get figured out but having more known commodities on this group when the roster turns over like you mentioned is just so big you're not starting from scratch again
1: yeah and i mean i've got questions like if they're going to play two bigs like i that's Red Flag City because, like, you're just not going to be able to space the floor with the bigs that Iowa State have unless, you know, Michael Jacobson's three-year track record of not being a three-point threat changes. Um, you know, they're going to have to play different. They're going to have to play more traditional. I don't even know if it's traditional anymore. They're going to have to play a older school style of three guards and two bigs and pound the hell out of it and hope those three guys can make threes and they can maybe play in transition a little bit. to me, like, they have a chance – is how good can they be defensively? Like, is Condit really that good as a shot blocker? I think we saw a lot of flashes of that last year. Can he be consistent? Can he stay on the floor? Um, and like the other thing, like playing two bigs when almost nobody else is. Like, what the hell are they going to do when they've got a six nine athletic four man? like how do you do you switch that with the two bigs do you have to play zone like what, what do you do with that like that'll be really interesting because they're kind of zigging when everyone else is zagging which sometimes is a good thing and sometimes can get exploited we'll see again like i think i'm more bullish on the upcoming season than i thought i would be once uh everything kind of shook out with the nba decisions uh but i think i would say has got a chance to be really good uh, you know getting bolton was huge they got to get him eligible like that to me lowers the ceiling significantly but again not catastrophically if he's not able to be eligible next year but i, I think i would say has got a chance to be you know really solid sounds good all right that's it we probably won't uh get behind the microphones again until after the fourth of july holiday um so we wish you a happy independence day a safe and happy Independence Day and summer. And when we get back, it'll be full-scale football. We'll be you know, looking r- right at uh, Big 12 Media Days in Dallas, where Dylan will be for a few days. Um, and then practice will get started, and we'll be off to the races. So we appreciate you listening. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe and all that good stuff. And uh, we will be back before you know it, talking about uh, football and everything else that comes along with Iowa State Sports on the Cyclone Slant, brought to you by Ames Ford Lincoln. Thanks for listening
0: and subscribe to the Cyclone Slant Podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher.